Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you're joining us for a little hardcore church planting. And uh, as always, Peyton, introduce our guest. Hey, so we have a guest on here today, um, longtime listener. And uh, no, I'm teasing. He's uh, he's we have interviewed you before and I'm trying to remember when, how, where. But we're pretty sure you forgot who we were. And that's why you agreed to this interview. But well, that's our, basically the truth. <laughs> yeah. So our our author today and our guest is Philip Nation. He is the director of content development at Lifeway Christian Resources. So he's kind of a big boy, right? We can't normally touch people like Philip, but uh, he is also the author of a, a, a number of books, um, including one that he, he wrote with Ed Stetzer. And um, he has a new book that we particularly want to talk about today, and it's called Habits for Our Holiness. So Philip, welcome on to the show. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I think we're going to have a, a fun conversation. If nothing else, uh, you guys are always fun to talk to. <laughs> well, if nothing useful happens, at least at least that's the uh, scuttlebutt around the water cooler at Lifeway, which seems to be a good fifty percent of our interviews all come from Lifeway. Yeah. So you know, yeah, for- Lifeway's kind of like the Borg. I think eventually everybody gets assimilated, and uh, well, don't spread that around. But that's essentially, yeah, that's the strategy. <laughs> that's the strategy. Yeah. So I'm at Nam. So is that kind of like a stepping stone to Lifeway? A, a little is that, bit. Is that where you guys send your rejects? Well, <laughs> yeah, I think that we keep trading people back and forth there. So we we keep trying to get it uh, straightened out and and even. So eventually like, we'll figure it out. It, it's a little so, game of go fish. I'll take a uh, Peyton Jones. <laughs> and I'll trade you a Philip Nation. Well, anyway, yeah. um, Philip, one of the things we always like to uh, start off our podcast with is if you would tell everyone about how you came to faith. And uh, give us that that story. How I came to faith. I I came to faith actually at a, a fairly young age. And so I'm one of those guys that has the story that I grew up in a home where faith was the priority. Uh, my parents, uh, as believers, I have an older sister who is also a believer. And so it was very natural conversations for us uh, to be uh, talking about prayer or the Bible and uh, regular attendance at church from a very young age. And so it was during my childhood that I began to ask the right questions uh, of my parents. And, and they were, uh, I, I appreciated the fact that, that they didn't just rush uh, me to a decision, but rather let me take my time, made sure that I understood that the key components of what does it mean to be a Christian, that uh, that it was not just kind of the the patent, hey, here's a little kid who who likes the idea of God in church, and so let's lead him through a prayer where he invites Jesus into his heart, and we hope it's going to stick. But rather, uh, through a series of a number uh, of months, uh, we had those conversations, and then 
my father and I, on a Sunday morning before we went to worship services, we knelt beside uh, the couch and uh, I, I prayed to surrender my life to Christ. And I never have I never have questioned that experience. I've always felt like that was the moment uh, of my uh, conversion. And, and so I, I feel really secure that even though it was in childhood, that that was, that was the time that I came to faith. And we were part of a strong church that uh, emphasized growth and winning uh, other people into the faith. And, and, and so I had a great upbringing that reinforced my own faith decision. Hmm. So, Philip, uh, as you wrote this book, I mean, looking at the reviews on um, Amazon, people think very highly of this book. So this book's getting a lot of five-star reviews. Um, I think when you write a book like this on it, – it's called The Habits of Holiness. But, I mean, this is really kind of a pursuit of God book. I mean, I, I'm guessing you threw all your passion into it. You um, – you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'll write a book on that. You know, I got nothing better to I'm kind of out of ideas. I mean, this, your heart has to be fully invested. Why did you write this book and what did it feel like writing it? Yeah, this book, uh, you're right. This, when you write a book about spiritual disciplines and, and you start positioning it as this is what needs to be habitual in your life. To, to pursue God and his mission uh, through these disciplines. It is not something that you just wake up and turn, flip a switch and do. I, actually, all of this really started with me uh, 20, probably four, 25 years ago while I was in seminary. And, and as a guy who grew up in the Southern Baptist uh, tradition of churches, and I still am part of that tradition of churches, I got introduced to uh, spiritual disciplines and this side of the beliefs uh, of our beliefs while I was in seminary by reading Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and Don Whitney and some of these other great thinkers. And so I've been percolating on this for a long time. And what really drove me to finally turn the corner and, and put the words down on paper is was that I thought that there was a missing element, actually two missing elements to much of what I had read. Mm. And that was the elements of community and mission. Mm. Because so much of what we read and study about spiritual disciplines, it's all very interior and, and almost a privatized religion. Although I, I don't mean to cast aspersions that those authors I've just named intend that. I think it gets applied that way. Right. And so I wanted to to give a book that would help people live these disciplines in an outward missionary kind of manner. Nice. I like, you know, that's an interesting um, kind of slant on it. Uh, you don't hear that a lot. Um, a lot of times, you, you know, people can run into the pitfall. And I know it, it had to be something you're struggling with when you're writing where you, you probably found yourself constantly pulling it back from like a legalistic, um, you know, kind of, kind of, you must read your Bible, pray. And there's been a shift away from that. But I think sometimes it's like Martin Lloyd Jones used to say, when the pendulum swings, it usually swings too far. Right. And, and I love the fact that you've brought this back to the center stage. Um, how do the habits of holiness, um, how do they tie into mission? Well, I think that they tie into mission in the fact that 
when you take them out of your own private, uh, basically residence, uh, when you take it out of your house where it's not just something that you do at your kitchen table at six o'clock in the morning where nobody else is watching, but instead you live these disciplines as a, as the spirit of your life, Mm. then people begin to take notice and, and let me highlight one that has been particularly helpful for me, and that is the discipline of rest hmm. or the discipline of the Sabbath. I, I am, a, a, like you two guys, I'm a really busy guy, and like church planters are, incredibly busy people. Uh, you got to get up, and you've got to hustle, and you got to get after it, and you got to find people, and you're constantly networking. There's, there's never a day where there's not something to do. And, and I was involved with church planting as well. So I, I, I feel like a tertiary part of the tribe. And I keep telling my wife, Angie, that uh, I, I'll be happy when the Lord says, hey, go plant another church. Because hmm. I, I love being in that kind of close quarter combat of ministry. Yeah, and, and so the discipline of rest, I, I, am, I, I am horrible at it. Uh, I have a full-time job. I'm a bivocational pastor. I write books. I travel around. And I impose all of this busyness onto myself. And so when I live with the spirit of the Sabbath and the discipline of rest, then suddenly my neighbors are going to notice it. Right. Because when I'm out grilling hamburgers and I've invited neighbors over and they're all you know, moaning and groaning about their boss is this and their job is horrible and they got to do this other thing tomorrow when they get back to their house and they get up or, you know, there's constantly all of these things that have to be done. And, and then I can talk about my own life from a perspective of I'm not defined by my work. I'm not defined by my chores. I'm not defined by my achievements that instead I can rest in my identity in Christ, I don't even have to say it in that kind of theological language, but they notice that there's a difference in the way that I live and where I ha- where I find actually hope and joy. And so those spiritual disciplines are, that discipline of rest is not just about me taking a nap on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It is about a redefinition of my whole identity. Mm. And that shows up Monday through Friday yeah. when I'm in an office, even at an office at a Christian publishing house. I think that's so important because you've, you've touched on something that goes even deeper, I think, and that is a, an underlying trust of God where Paul goes, look, I sow, I water, but, you know, God gives the increase. There's this idea that, um, you know, faith says the church does not stand or follow me. I mean, I have to work hard mm-hmm. as a church planner. But uh, it's funny, you know, I, I train with Mac Lake on uh, uh, the multiply team for Nam, and right. um, and Mac is an exceptional leader. And so he's always reviewing everything. And he said, hey, you know, your last session, give your takeaways. What did you do really well? What was a breakthrough training moment? What was a mediocre one? And my mediocre one had nothing to do with the training. Mm-hmm. It had to do with me. The software is fine. My prep was fine. I was ready, but I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Yeah. And I said, you know, right about this time, I needed more stamina. I didn't have enough rest and it affected me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the whole idea of, of like you're saying rest, um, sometimes you, it takes more faith to rest than it does to work hard at something. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and that's why for 
for those of us that you know have got all this testosterone coursing through our bodies, uh, we're guys as as guys especially, but uh, there are plenty of ladies who fall into this category as well. So the human condition is uh, is we play this adult version of you know king of the hill, and so we're constantly scrapping and clawing so that we can be the person who is the first to be seen and the one who's on top and we're proving our worth to everybody else and we're trying to prove our worth to God. And so through Habits for Our Holiness, one of the things I'm trying to get people to do is is change their mindset about what a spiritual discipline is, specifically about who owns it. The spiritual discipline is not mine. The spiritual discipline is God's. And so it's not my tool that is used as a lever to make God do stuff. It's his tool that he uses in my life to conform me to the image of Christ. And so exactly what you said about rest, it is an act of faith that I'm going to rest in Christ, both physically and spiritually, to let him bring the increase and do all of the definition about who I am as a human being. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's pretty deep. What What are some of the other, and, and let me just back up for a second before I ask you, because I want to ask you what the other uh, disciplines are that, that you take apart in the book. Um, but what what's really interesting to me is that for our church planners, guys, these are things, you know, that, uh, that, that particularly the scripture really talks about. Like if you look at Paul and you say, you know, what? What is it that um, made Paul such a great church planner? The Bible never really gives you methods. It never, it's Ian Bounds' old quote, you know, men are always looking for methods. God is looking for men. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, God uses people. I, I think that one of the things that, that we need to get out of that we're addicted to right now is my five easy steps of. You know, um, my six, my six, six steps towards success or whatever. And the church is addicted to this right now. Whereas the scripture really kind of like Paul, you know, where he goes, look, you know, uh, watch your life and doctrine closely and you'll save both yourself and your hearers. There's a, uh, an anointing, there's a preservation, there's a, there's an emphasis on the person. And so church planners, as you're listening to this today, these disciplines are about, uh, your formation, not building your church, because uh, as I was I was thumbing through Lloyd Jones's revival today, mm. and uh, they you know he was just saying at a certain point he goes you know we run around and we do our little things and we ignore God, and he goes it's the opposite in the Scripture. They're so focused on Jesus that everything just kind of rips around them. And, uh, and so what, what's so refreshing to hear, Philip, is you have turned the conversation back on to just walking with God, the power that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that gets me to stand up and take notice. What, <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of times I'm like, I don't need another book to tell me how to church plant good, yeah. right? But, but connecting mission to walking with God is so powerful. Um, can you... Uh, just unpack some of the other disciplines that you talk about in the book. Yeah, absolutely. The, I, I identify, like a lot of people do, that I think the three core and foundational disciplines are worship, Bible study, and prayer. And so the, the, the front end of the book deals with those three disciplines. And then I begin to unpack 
some other disciplines that are, again, classic disciplines, fasting, rest, fellowship, simple living, uh, submission, and servanthood. But then I add in two disciplines at the tail end of the book that generally are not associated as spiritual disciplines, but I think that they are, and that is the practices of spiritual leadership and the practice of disciple-making. We have turned those two things into programs so oftentimes in the church where we do have these checklists rather than ways of living. And, and so, I, so those are the, the disciplines that I deal with. And certainly there's a lot of ways that you can slice this up. And with prayer, you could go in about seven or a dozen or 18 different directions. Uh, and there are others that would be added to the list. But I, I do think that starting with worship, Bible study, and prayer, those are core foundational that everything else gets birthed out of. But the one thing that I'd back all the way up to the beginning and say with all of these things, there is a place where I would want church planters to, this is if, if you test yourself out of anything that of our conversation, I would say test yourself on this because it's the place where I am, I, I'm trying to keep myself very closely guarded. And that is ultimately the discipline of the Christian life is love. Love is the central discipline of the Christian life. And if you get love right, all of the rest of this becomes an activity of your love for Christ and then thereby your love for the lost and, and your love for the church. And and so if you read the book, you're going to see that thread, you know, string through all of this. And that's what helps me stay guarded against legalism of I'm making a checklist of did I read my Bible enough? Did I memorize enough? Did I take a nap this week? Did I submit to somebody as my spiritual director? You know, did I, you know, live simply, you know, when I could have bought this that I said no and I gave my money to the poor? Um, and, and, and it's easy to fall into the checklist mentality when you start talking about spiritual disciplines. And so I preface the whole thing by saying, love is the central discipline. Let God have your heart, and, and then he can do all of the rest with your hands. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, and, and that's super huge. I think that uh, we so get the cart before the horse. I mean, everything that you see in the scripture to you know church planning, if it did not lead to a deeper revelation and a deeper knowledge of God himself, mm-hmm. including your church plan, right. um, then, then what was the point? I mean, if we say that we're out there to help guys, you know, or help people out there get to know God, um, then what would be the benefit if, if my church plan doesn't really help me get to know God better right. in exactly. a way? Yeah, just this past Sunday at, at my church here in Nashville, where I get to serve, uh, I was uh, actually speaking on uh, the story in the book of Acts of Philip uh, going and witnessing and sharing. You know, he, he leaves a citywide revival to go down to the desert road, and God causes him to encounter the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and I prefaced the whole message by saying, you know, a lot of times we have very poor definitions of what ministry and mission looks like. And so I, I showed our, our church family three different images I showed him a, a, a library and then a metronome and then a carousel from like a state fair. And I said, oftentimes, this is the way that we define 
whether or not we're having success in, in Christian living and in ministry and mission is, is a library. Do you know more stuff today than you knew last week? And if you know more stuff, then you're probably more godly. And I said, we should know more, but that's not the end-all, be-all, is just knowing more. That, that you know the difference between Elijah and Elisha. You should know the difference. You should seek to know those stories of the Scripture. But there's more to it than that. And then there's the metronome, and that's just the behavior modification that we do with people of just getting them in time and in rhythm and live by the church calendar and, and make sure that you act right. Uh, I, uh, though I can't find it officially, it is attributed that Mark Twain, the great American author, once said uh, that church is nothing more than good people standing in front of good people telling them how to be good people. <laughs> and 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 though that sounds like a great strategy, sometimes when you have preschoolers, um, it you know ultimately it kind of fails you when it comes to you know spiritual transformation. And then the third image of the carousel is that you know the lights are bright, the music is peppy, everybody's smiling, everybody's moving, but nobody's going anywhere, and it's just this plasticized kind of spirituality where everybody says they're fine, but nobody really is. Uh, everybody's mm -hmm. mad that they didn't get on the right horse on the carousel, and uh, they want to know if, if anything's going to get better. And so with these disciplines, it gives us the, the opportunity to deepen our love for Christ and to, and to allow Him to define what our forward motion is going to be into the world. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's the spirit, the, the ministry in the mundane of serving other people, or whether it is the harvesting work of making new disciples and creating new leaders, uh, again, these are tools in the hands of God for Him to define our, our, our work and our lives uh, so that we can be a part of His kingdom work and not about you know, crafting the next great methodology that we think everybody's going to adopt. Right. Right. Wow. Well, Pete, any any uh, questions? You know, I actually just uh, had a quick question. I was wondering if you could touch on, um, in your book, one of the, the chapters that kind of caught my attention, uh, the ministry of the mundane, the practice of servanthood. I was wondering if you can kind of unpack that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So the ministry of the mundane, it's actually, um, that's a, a phrase I borrowed from somebody else, and I footnoted it somewhere in the book. So I uh, and so, someone's but, got credit somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somebody got credit for it somewhere. Uh, but I, I think that it's a great way for us to to look at the way that we do Christian living. And and the biblical illustration that I use is about the two bowls of water at the end of Jesus's life. Mm. Uh, one bowl is where Jesus is at the Last Supper and he washes the feet of the disciples. And, you know, you can go through the whole dramatic spiel of you know, dirty, nasty feet from sandaled men walking on dirt roads and nobody, you know, served at the door to wash feet. And so Jesus does. And then the second bowl of water is found in Matthew 27 after Jesus is drugged through several illegal trials and the crowds call for him to be crucified and Pilate washes his hands and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And so every day, believers wake up and there's two bowls of water in front of us and it's the it's the bowl of water to serve and it's the bowl of water to wash your hands of all the nasty people in your life and the way of Christ likeness is to is to is to serve mm. and so we serve the spiritually lost by being compassionate to them and 
and, and entering into their pain and empathizing with how they are marginalized perhaps in, in culture or they are mistreated or they have been abused or they have, um, been, they have succumbed to addictions. And then they're serving fellow Christians, making the decision that I don't need a position in order to serve the church. I, I, I am a servant of the church that I bear you know, everybody's burden around me. That's what Galatians says. And when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. And so then together with other believers, we lock arms and sometimes we're just co-belligerent with one another uh, about, you know, the injustices of the world. And so sometimes the service is very quiet because you just take care of a widow in your neighborhood. And sometimes your service is very loud because you're trying to raise the voices of the righteous against injustice in the culture. So it, it is an opportunity to cultivate friendships with unbelievers so that they can see that grace extends way beyond this one issue that is actually temporary, and we know that. Uh, and it's the opportunity to link arms with believers, uh, maybe from other congregations and even other traditions, to help us all work together as one body of Christ uh, to do good in the world and work for the good of our cities so that people will want to know why do you do this and we can then give them to them a word of the hope that we have eternally. Mm. I dig it, man. I dig it. Peyton, are you there? I'm here, but uh, I think it's time, Pete. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, Philip, uh, not Phil, Philip. I see. Philip. <laughs> I get it right, Peyton. Don't, don't, don't open the old wounds. Not, not with this particular Philip. There was another Philip who got a little bit angry at me. Well, let's uh, just leave it there. Let's, let's, let's not let that lie. Just yeah. let that lie. Yeah. What, one of the, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask, and, and really it's the only reason that people tune in and listen to our podcast. Obviously. It's for the last question. So here it is. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Stetzer, who would win? <laughs> I would win. Nice. Yes. I whatsoever. I would bring win. it. Uh, no, I, I would definitely win. I'm, I, I'm, I'm too quick. I'm too quick. <laughs> he doesn't look fast. No, he, he's smart. But he's he, smart, but I don't think he's fast. No, I, th- I think that I, I could I could be quick enough uh, to be able to, to take him uh, as long as we're not playing Jeopardy. Uh, I think I'm okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if it's a battle of wits, nobody battles wits against a Sicilian or Ed Stetzer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's inconceivable. <laughs> I like it, man. So, so what would your, okay. So you're fast. And, and by the way, it's not, the question is not always Ed Stetzer. We, we mix it up depending on like, if you're Derwin Gray, you fight Derwin Gray. Um, Who else are you going to fight? Right. So, uh, so, so what would your, what would your, your strategy be? How would you take him down? How would I take him down? Well, first of all, I wouldn't try to take him down. <laughs> the ground, the ground game is not where I want to go with Stetzer. I'm five foot eight, um, and that. so and so, you know, mine would be, uh, you know, uh, get in, get out. Uh, it, it would be quick jabs, uh, oh, yeah. 
you know, body shots, go for, <laughs> go for the, go for the sidekick to the liver. That's where you, I mean, with him, you, you, you got to go for, you know, something that's, that's going to hurt immediately and, uh, and, and stun him. And, and then you go for the uppercut. Nice. Oh, man. Nice. Man. Philip, it's new respect for you, my friend, <laughs> new respect in an unexpected area. So well done, man. I, I, Pete, this is one of the best you know, answers we've had. I just realized that what I really like to do is transcribe all of our fight questions and then send them to the people who were having them fight, you know? So I'm sure we've hey. used Stetzer before. We got to put like three or four and just send them to them. Hey, just so you know, this is what people think about you. <laughs> or, or we could really stir it up. It'd be like, hey, dear Ed. We deeply respect you. Just so you know, Philip Nation was on the podcast the other day, and this is what he said about you. He said he could knock you out. He quoted LL Cool J. <laughs> oh, man. We, we got to keep people's mamas out of this, though. You know, mama said knock you out, but we, we can't go. You know, this is, we got to have standards, man. So the uh, hey, so nice having you on here really honestly um big respect and uh the new book guys is the uh you can get it on amazon you can get it wherever fine christian books are sold and it's called habits for our holiness um it's philip's new book um you guys will definitely uh love it and i'm sure lifeway carries it am i right oh, yeah. Or am yeah, I right? Absolutely, you're right. <laughs> you are absolutely right. So people can check it out uh, lots of places. And uh, if if nothing else, just uh, jump over to philipnation.net. That's my own blog site. And they can uh, see the stuff that I've been thinking about and writing about lately and, and check out the books. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.